1: There are tiered levels of patronage and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Talk to Tell Podcast, episode 166. Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here. Black History Month continues on. You see me doing the thing if you're watching the podcast. i got the uh, Black Panther People's Free Food Program shirt going on. Uh, Brian, did you get a chance to check out uh, Judas and the Black Messiah? Speaking of Black no. Panthers, you did not get to do that.
0: No, the reason, the reason why is because like I've heard enough and I have an idea of how heavy it's going to be And I'm just, I'm just not in that mode right now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I want to get to it, but like, I've, like, I've seen but. I've just finished The Last of Us 2, which we talked (laughs) talked about, about. uh, like, we've talked about, um, and we're going to do some stuff around that coming up on this podcast. But at the same time, it's like, I've just consumed a lot of heavy shit lately. And I'm just kind of like, don't feel like dipping into certain things. Like, it's on my list.
1: No, I get it. Uh, as, I get it.
0: As is as is American Skin. As is One Night in Miami, which I also but watched this like, weekend
1: and was really good.
0: Like I'm not I'm not mentally there yet. Maybe in about a week or two. Uh,
1: if I I watched One Night in Miami and Judas and the Black Messiah this weekend. One Night in Miami, I would say, is the lighter watch between the two. Um, I think you would really enjoy it as well. You will feel stuff at the end. I like a
0: couple of the actors a lot.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The act, first, I will say about that movie. We'll talk about it more once you watch both. But the acting in both the movies were tremendous. Uh,
0: dude who played Muhammad Ali is was uh, was the quarterback. I'm escaping. is the name is escaping me. On ballers, on ballers, and he and was, dude who played not. I think I'm trying to remember. Dude who played um, not Jim Brown. Not Malcolm X. Played Sam
1: Cooke. Leslie Adam Jr. Who
0: Sam... Yeah, and I think he played Brian Banks in the Brian Banks movie, as well as MC Ren in One Night in Compton. I think it's the same person.
1: That is correct. And he also yeah. obviously starred in Hamilton. Leslie yeah. Adam Jr. Really talented actor. Uh, all the actors are good. Obviously, Aldous Hodge was in Straight Out of Compton, uh, who plays Jim Brown. And uh, the dude, Hold on,
0: Aldous Hodge is who I was thinking. Oh, Aldous
1: Hodge, of. you think about? Well, he played He's Jim Brown. It. Yeah, yeah. He he... Played... Okay, he played yeah, Jim yeah. Brown. He
0: was Brian Banks in the Brian Banks movie, right. which makes sense football. And he was MC Brandon, in Straight out Content. Was-
1: right, yeah, and I switched the names. And Leslie Odom Jr. played Sam Cooke, really yeah. good. And the dude, his name has escaped me right now. The dude who plays Malcolm X uh, was in, for anybody who's watches it's one of my favorite shows that got canceled, but he was in season two of The OA on Netflix, really good. And, he, and everybody nailed their roles. I will say that about the movie before you watch it. It's not as heavy as a watch. I think that's probably one you might want to go into earlier. Uh, Judas. I and...
0: Yeah, I want to because Joe Budden's review of it made me laugh. He called. He said. He said that. Um, he asked the question: Is Malcolm X a vibe killer? To which
1: <laughs> I understand. I understand based on the movie why he would ask that, and so, uh, so... I will say in the movie, uh, he <laughs> he killed he killed some vibes while certain people were seeking certain things. I'll say That's
0: that. The thing, like he said, people were just kind of hanging out. And then he would come through and like, yo, we got to do this, that, and the third. And then he said, you could see the other dudes like being like, yo, who the fuck is this dude?
1: Yeah, and it's it's crazy because they all. And like...
0: I kind of want to watch it with that prism because I think I will find the humor in it. Oh, it's... I, I, and I feel like I feel like I could see that being lighter than American Skin and um, the 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 Judas and the Black Messiah because I mean, shit, given given off what I've read about each of the three things all of which I want to see. Yeah, it seems like the other two are very much on the heavy side.
1: I, I personally didn't feel like Judas and the Black Messiah, I would say, is necessarily heavy for me. I was speaking about this with my boy earlier, more than I felt. I think it's like I, I'm somebody, I, this is for full disclosure for people, A lot of in my childhood I read a lot on the Black Panthers. I remember I did this really great paper on Angela Davis when I was in middle school. So I'm very aware of the history of the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton mm. and everything that went around it. So in terms of the movie, I mean, I know the story. I know the story. I know how it ends. I, I, See, I don't know that much about uh, it. I mean, so, I know how it ends, but right. I
0: didn't, like, learned last week that Fred Hampton was 21. Right. I had so, always thought he was a little bit
1: older than nah, that. Nah, man. And so, I mean, that also probably makes you feel a way in the context of the movie and everything that goes on. I, I think the story they told, it was really good, really well done. You know, were there points where I was angry? Yeah, well, I'm also black in America. So, you know, that, that is the case for me all the time, living in this space. Also for our Latino brothers and sisters as well. It's just, it, it can be that. And I can see why you may want to stay away from me if some of it brings up those feelings, just of the injustice you see. One thing I will say about both the movies you talked about, one, and we'll discuss this more at a deeper time, but one thing I will say is I think it was interesting, and I was saying this to my boy today, And watching both these movies, there's still so many conversations that are applicable to 2021. And that's really sad. It's really sad in where we are in terms of systemic racism. It's really sad. And so, you know, I get it. Um, It's Black History Month. There's going to be some heavy watching. And sometimes you're just not in that space, especially coming off The Last of Us 2. I absolutely get it.
0: Dude, yeah, that's the thing, too. Yeah.
1: Coming off that, it, it has been easy. All right. Let's get into some sports stuff. Interesting week in the world of sports. There are people doing a lot of crazy things. Now, Brian and I, I this first topic, I wanted to talk to Brian about. We didn't have the time to do it. We were going to do something else on this separate from this podcast, but I figured, no, we didn't have the time. And let's make this a segment of the podcast. For those who might have been under a rock, the last week there was a whole big conversation about the national anthem and what was going on. And this all came about because at some point it was realized by some people that the Dallas Mavericks hadn't played the National Anthem for 13 straight games, right? And then it became aware through, uh, I think it was a reporter from The Athletic reported this, and people became aware that they hadn't played it. And Mark Cuban said that, you know, he had made the decision uh, to stop playing the National Anthem. And then the NBA put out a statement saying that as fans are returning to arenas, which we're starting to see in some other arenas, even including New York, The end of this month, we'll have about 2,000 people in the Barclays Center and the Square Garden uh, in the arena. We'll see that as fans start to come back in, the national anthem will be required to be played. There is nobody in the world, nobody in the world I would rather talk to about this than Brian, (laughs) about this subject. Because Brian and I have had many conversations about this and around this and have had also personal experiences working for a college and dealing with them playing the national anthem. Uh, post the events of Colin Kaepernick and just both being men of color in this country. I'm gonna say this before I let you talk on this. Yeah. The Mavericks did not play the National Anthem for 13 home games. This is both preseason and regular season. And which spanned over well over a month. So let's be clear about the timeline. And nobody noticed. And I think there's an argument to be made that because nobody noticed. Nobody cares. I don't say nobody cares. People don't care as much as they think they do. People bring up a whole bunch of big stuff with the anthem. I've made this point in the podcast before. I've gone to a, a million sporting events in my life, whether it's a fan, whether covering them. You know what most people are doing when the national anthem is being played? Talking to someone else, either next to them, on their cell phone, out getting food in the concession line. My point has always been I call BS. Most of y'all don't show respect to the national anthem in the way that you think that you do. And secondly, we have to ask a question, which I'm going to toss to Brian. Why are we still doing this? Why are we still playing the National Anthem before games? Why is this still a thing?
0: I used to ask people that at St. Francis College when we worked there and we used to play the National Anthem. And I used to get in trouble for staying in my seat, being in the bathroom, not being around to stand for this bullshit and it's like I I give props to the Dallas Mavericks for like just sort of going about their business in the manner in which they did. I'm actually quite annoyed with the NBA for a couple of reasons. Uh one, the All-Star game shit is pretty stupid, but I can see sort of a pathway to maybe they think that there's a level of money there that they can get to or whatever. Like I'm sure there's some rationale behind them really wanting to put this together, as stupid and it's unsafe and as, you know, Really, just unnecessary as it sounds because they're trying to have this all star game in Atlanta and fly their top 1% of players out there. But I'm sure there's money to be had, I guess, to some degree. This, like doubling down on this rule to play the anthem before games and making sure that we have the stupid ceremony for like everyone standing in front, like there's no crowd shots, really. I mean, some stadiums or some arenas rather have fans, but it doesn't make a ton of sense. As to why we're so hell-bent on doing this. The song isn't even good. The song itself is racist. <laughs> like, who gives a shit about standing before and doing this pregame ceremony? Like, let's just get into the fucking game. Like, I-, I don't understand this shit. Like, I've watched and covered a good amount of high school basketball, as have you. They mm-hmm. don't really play the national anthem before fucking high school games. I mean, I'm sure they do in certain parts of the country, in the Midwest or whatever. Mm-hmm. But usually here, they just kind of get into it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand why we can't just, just get into the games. Like, it doesn't matter. Say what you got to say. You know, line people up. If you want to shake hands, or so don't do that now. But, like, you could do whatever. But, like, I don't get why this ceremony needs to be a thing. It's the dumbest thing we do in all of sports. It's the most overrated thing. That we feel like we need to cling to in all of sports. It's just like, what's the point of this? Like, what's really the end game here? What's the message that the NBA is trying to send by doubling down on this? Like, I don't understand what it is, especially as like you're heralded as the progressive league in all of the major American sports leagues. But this is the hill you're choosing to die on. Not the NFL, not Major League Baseball. Not the WWE, who I don't think they played the national anthem for, you know, Monday Night Raw, but it's y'all. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
1: I think the reason is, I think the reason is pretty clear for me and the hell, why it's the hell they're willing to die on. And it's that a lot of the people that come to pay to see NBA games that have the Yo, money. do we care
0: too much about fucking white people in the Midwest.
1: Yeah, but you know what? Here, here's, here, here's the thing. It's about the money they can make and not pissing off the people who have that money. Do they, do they care to, do they, but here's the thing, do, but, but here's the
0: worried about making the rest of us mad?
1: No, no, because they're worried about the money. That's, and that's right, how, but that's, but that's, that's, what how that's, that's how, that's how capitalism saying. tied in with systemic racism works, right? They're right, just worried about saying. the money. It's
0: like we're always, we're so conditioned to always take the side of like the white conservative. Oh, I'm not and, taking the side. America
1: I'm just criticizing in the middle. them. For no, no,
0: no. I'm saying, like, this is what leagues are, are conditioned to do just because they've always been conditioned to do that. And it's like, yo, I agree. sooner or later, like, this country is going to be damn near majority Latino. Are we ever going to lean into the Latinos that are going to fill out right. this country but and comprise know what, of you the know, second voting you know, you know block in this country in right, past election?
1: We, you're right. And we know all the numbers and statistics that have been out, something like by 2042, uh, white people in this country will no longer be the majority. And certain white people that have certain ideas and are dead, deathly afraid of that—they don't want that to happen. They're trying to hold on to that everything that they can. Now, there's another aspect to this, and yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, and you can roll your eyes in it, and it's rooted in fear, and it's rooted that's in racism, the and it's, and that's it's fine. Why
0: the it's people clinging on. That's to it. Whatever it's the same stuff. But yeah, that's same what we—that's
1: what we saw on January 6th. That's rooted in that. It's the same thing. You saw all these people having different flags and call themselves. Patriots, and I want to talk about that word and how that relates to this. We have to understand why we started playing the national anthem before sporting events. It was played to promote patriotism during World War I in 1918, right? And then it was done for a couple of years even after people came back from the war, and some teams stopped it, and certain teams continued it and then brought it back. But it's always been about selling patriotism. And here's the problem with selling that patriotism and reason why people need to understand why this doesn't resonate with people of color specifically in this country. And let's, I'm going specifically talk about black Americans in that, in that time. Could you imagine being black in America in 1918 and going over to fight World War I? Or shit, we can go ahead to World War II. And you come home, you're here to fight for other people's freedoms, per se. Especially if you're talking about World War II And you come home and you're not even free You still gotta Eat in a different place from a white person You still can't sit in the same place as a white person Because of the color of your skin So maybe you might want to understand why some people hear the national anthem And let's go today Because we still ain't free Let's go to some people who are black and brown in this country And still know there's injustices And treatment, And think that when they stand and they hear the anthem and the flag And all, and all they're supposed to stand for And the patriotism they so supposed to be proud of the land of the free and the home of the brave, when people here still who look like me don't feel free, you can understand why they don't necessarily look at it the same way. But the fact that people are not willing to have that conversation, the fact that people aren't even willing to say, like Brian said, the song sucks and it does, and it does have racist language, even though it's in the third verse that most people don't sing, doesn't make the song any less racist. The fact that people aren't willing to say, hey, maybe we should come up with something better that is more encompassing, of a song yeah. of America so that we all can enjoy and so celebrate it. Because you know what? I, you know what I don't want to sing? Songs that are that really harken to a time that i got to think about people who look like me
0: yeah.
1: were not even free. And how do they feel about this song? You're expecting them to have the same level of pride or patriotism? We have to understand that these leagues not only just pander to some of the white folks in this country that pay for these games that might have some of these uber-patriotic and racist ideologies. But we also have to understand that these leagues have always been hand-in-hand. Hand. They take money from the Army. It's hand-in-hand. Hand. They have been selling patriotism to us for years. And some of us have been a, have been comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with it. And I like that no matter what Mark Cuban's point was, B, I like the fact that he kind of made the point. I think it really shows most of y'all didn't care about this until this one athletic reporter wrote about it. As I said at the top, most people didn't care about this. So clearly it can go on. <laughs> clearly yeah. it can be fine if a team doesn't play the national anthem. To your point, B, yeah, I think the NBA should have said, hey, every team can do what they want. If a team chooses to play the national anthem, fine. If you don't, say thing. I don't care if somebody stands in the national anthem with their hand over their heart. I don't care if somebody sits down. I literally don't care. I think there's something to be talked about about why we still do it, but if we're going to do it, people should have the freedom to do whatever the hell they want to do it because they do it anyway at games. As I said, people have been eating, talking. People do whatever they want through the anthem. So when all y'all get so upset because the black players are protesting the anthem because it doesn't stand for liberty and justice for all or Latino players or women have been protesting the anthem, and when all of you guys are mad, be mad at the person next time you're in a, in a, at a game and they're not paying attention or stopping with their hand over the heart in the anthem because you're not, and I know it's we know it's a bunch of bullshit.
0: I really wish that uh, no Sean Moreno never cried during that shit, because that's the image that people use to sort of like, you know, uplift the the fucking song for all it is. I used to get really uncomfortable when uh, we would go, speaking of uh, St. Francis, I used to get really uncomfortable when we used to go to Robert Morris and they used to play that song because, you know, you know, Robert Morris a little bit. I mean, they're called the Colonials, first of all. Right. The second of all, it's like, like. That was one of the spots where when they played the shit, people would actually turn to the flag. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Stare at it like their life depended on it. As if, like, you know, they would get struck down by lightning if they didn't look at it during this fucking song. <laughs> people would salute it after. With hats on, by the way. They didn't remove their hats. They had their backwards hat on. They were fucking salute. Like, it, you know, it was adorable. Um, was it? You no. Know, that's... What? Like, it's just... I I just don't – like, the the ceremony shit, it's just the ceremonial aspect of it. Like, yo, I mean, look, if you're down with it, it's whatever to me. But I just don't think – that we should be married to some shit. I mean, generally, all, a lot of our traditions, we should be questioning why we do these things. I agree. Why we're still doing these things, why we've done these things to begin with, how we've gotten here. Like, doesn't make any sense. Like, we need so much reform that it's going to be damn near impossible to get all the things done that we should get done. But I'm just more so than anything else. I'm looking at the NBA like, yo, really, y'all? y'all out of all the sports leagues are really doubling down on this like that's 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 nonsense
1: i think maybe at some point and you brought up the point of the all-star game and everything maybe we shouldn't be surprised at the nba this is america this is a a machine that's been built on on capitalism and a lot of white fans supporting that capitalism so you know that maybe don't necessarily have the same ideals as you do so i'm not lumping all the white folks in there but I think we know there are people with those ideals that are very similar to the people that stormed the Capitol on January 6th that also watch NBA games and don't like when people protest or don't like the fact that we're protesting the fact that we just want to be treated the same as y'all. And that's the, that's really the problem there. And it's really what everything has been done in this country, uh, no matter what it is. White folks, if they want something are given the benefit of the doubt, and everything has been done to make them feel comfortable. And to your point, Brian, This is just another extension of making them feel comfortable in this space, right? Instead of actually supporting the people on the court, where it's 90% of the league is actually black and doesn't look like most of the people in the stands. What about their comfortability? What about the fact that they might not feel comfortable hearing this song, standing for it? Nobody's really asked those people, but nobody's really gave a damn about how those people feel. But again, that's just being black in America. The Sports Walk is back. Watch Season 3 of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. Jacksonville Jaguars, not a team we talk about a lot. we don't talk a lot of NFL on here. They had hired a director of sports performance. His name is Chris Dawes, some of you may remember that name. He was a former strength coach at the University of Iowa who was accused of making racist remarks and belittling and bullying players uh, while he was there. He was hired as director of sports performance. This was all this stuff came out in Iowa last year in 2020 where he was under fire and eventually had to settle, I believe it was a settlement with the school, um, which, you know, never looks good. It's just like, hey, let's take this money and just just be quiet. Um, Yep. Urban Meyer hired, who's a new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, he hired him. And I'm going to start out by saying this. There is no way, no way, that somebody who looks like myself or Brian did anything inappropriate, right? Listen the guy was accused of doing something pro even if we were just accused also of doing whatever if it was that was inappropriate it could think of anything that would be clearly inappropriate to do in the workplace if brian and i did it you think we'd be hired the next for the next job so quickly by urban meyer this screams to me a continuation of what we know in a lot of industries of being people of color is the good old boys club continuing Let's give him another opportunity. Let's continue this. Now, obviously, this hire came out in the age of social media. Something I do love is people were like, wait, what's going on here? This dude just made these racist remarks, bullying, bullying people, accused, I will say once again, although I think there was a lot of damning evidence against him. And so quickly, he got this job as director of sports performance with the Jacksonville Jaguars, It's almost like he leveled up. And I think to a lot of people that look like us, it's a slap in the face or whatever you want to call it, that someone that looks like him, Mr. Chris Doyle, can level up so quickly after being accused after what he did. Um, And I was right. He did reach a separation agreement from Iowa. That was back in June. Um, As a result, of the allegations made by multiple black players. Brian, is this bothersome when you see this around in the NFL? You talked in the last segment about certain things you would expect from the NFL that you might not expect from the NBA, but we've seen a lot of problems in the NFL in terms of hiring. Uh, coaches of color, and then another person gets an opportunity like this. To me, it seems like this is business as usual for this institution. I'm not that shocked.
0: And that's kind of why I wouldn't even say it bothers me because it's like I did. I expect anything different necessarily from Urban Meyer, who obviously gets this position, and he clearly feels mm-hmm. like he is able to do this and get away with it. Which generally, and this is something that I would probably point out, is like. The coverage of this, I mean, I, I some like you know, we at uh Despen did something on, you know, this obviously not rocking with it, but generally the media coverage has kind of been touting Mister Doyle's football resume, his past and the things he did at Iowa. Like I haven't seen a ton of people sort of questioning this outside of maybe a couple stories here and there and on Twitter mostly, uh-huh. which sort of tells you like where we're kind of at with this, right? And this is this is. This is, look, guys, this is how shit just kind of continues. It's like we turn a blind eye to certain things and don't really question these hires and kind of keep it moving and this is how all this stuff gets normalized, and this is also how like a lot of people in the media are just content with this because they don't quite see uh things the way we see it, and that's because in the media, it's kind of the same game, like you can do X, <laughs> y, and z and it doesn't quite matter if you look a certain way or if you know a certain person it doesn't quite matter like at the end of the day like that's really what it is so it's this is reflective of what happens in media just reflective of what happens in sales in real estate it doesn't matter what it is like sports on and off the field are microcosms of things that we all experience elsewhere so when i saw this i was kind of like ah like this is this is america in a nutshell really if you really boil it down
1: i agree i agree with that completely and Urban Meyer then released a statement, of course, after the fact, I've known Chris for close to 20 years, reflects a good old boy network that is precisely the reason there's such a disparity in employment opportunities for black coaches. And whenever people release statements like this, I always feel like it's- It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. And I agree. It's because they didn't say it. They didn't have an opportunity for anybody asking questions. Even if there was, there probably wouldn't be people like me or Brian, not many of us in the audience to ask him the the right questions, which was like- Okay, Urban Meyer, that's cool that you said this and you're acknowledging this is part of the good old boy network and is this disparity in employment for opportunities for black coaches. Two part question. I, I would have, I would have a two part question for Urban Meyer. When did you realize this? Cause it seems kind of convenient that you realized it after the backlash came. And secondly, okay, well, what are you doing to change that disparity for employment for opportunities of black and brown coaches in the sport of football? What are you doing about that? That's what I would like to know. Of course, nobody asked that. Uh, You know, he says he vets everybody in our staff. I mean, we have a good relationship that goes back close to 20 years, a lot of hard questions and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we've seen this even with the Mets. Recently with some of their hires that have looked horrible in things that they've done. A lot of people aren't vetting the people in the way we think they are because they look like them or they know them. And these biases do exist, and this happens all the time. And a lot of these folks get slaps on the wrist. Meanwhile, there could be black coaches or Latino coaches that do nothing. They're fine, and then they, can, they, you know, they just have whatever happened to them in a certain job or they didn't win or didn't pan out there, and they can't even get a second job. Meanwhile, Tony La Russa could be drunk driving at the age of whatever yep. he is, old enough to know better, and he gets an, his fourth job. And Somebody could say, oh, well, he's got rings. He's a World Series With champion. With Tim
0: coach. Anderson as probably his best hitter. And Jose Abreu. Yes. And like fun guys. And it's like, okay, let's get the older white dudes to manage this. Like, this is, like
1: this is the shit go that go I'm well. talking about. Like, that's that's, that's going to go well. I don't have much more to say on this than Brian uh, eloquently I mean, said, I mean, other than the fact that this is business usual, and this is what it's like in America, and this is what we as people of color living in America, uh, in this society that's still extremely racist. We know all this to be true. We just yeah, know that, it to be true.
0: And then, the, and then what what happens is, and I don't know if that, how this will turn out there because it looks like they'll have Trevor Lawrence and actually be okay. We'll see, but how it generally turns out is like this shit happens, and then when a the team rebuilds in four years, they bring in all right, let's bring in the blackhead coach, let's bring in this this and that. Our team's gonna suck for two years, and then we bring back all the white people in. That's sort of what the cycle of this is. And like the opportunity gap, let's just say the opportunity gap that Urban Meyer talks about is that wider than he thinks and or cares about uh, thinking. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see yeah. what ends up happening with Jacksonville. I, I I I don't really like care about the Jaguars or the NFL at all. So like y'all will see what happens. I necessarily won't. But I'm ready for the show to get lighter with our uh, next topic. So uh, yeah. we can get to
1: that. I, I actually, uh, <laughs> I, like you say you said if he thinks about it, I'm not sure that Urban Meyer thinks about that at all or any of the people in Jacksonville Jaguars know. thought about it at all, which is the problem. Some are always looking for more sports content, and among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics, presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports, because there is so much beyond the game, and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. Giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. I want to have a discussion that i thought about in terms of basketball, and I think Brian and I are good to have this discussion because we both grew up watching basketball in somewhat different eras that we saw. We both—I'm a big NBA fan. Brian is as well, and when you think of nineties basketball, which is pretty much what I grew up watching initially, uh, in my young years, just loving the game, it was a lot of tough basketball, hard fouls, really hard defense. You know, some people of my generation will say, Yeah, that's when it was a, a man's game, whatever that really means. And things of that, it was just really physical. It was really good basketball. And Brian, you know, you watching basketball in the early part of the two thousands really, you're kind of coming up watching that. You saw more of an isolation-heavy game uh, in in that, which was nothing wrong with that as either too. The game, I think we'd we'd agree, the game of basketball has changed. Players are more skilled than ever before. I never understand the argument when people say the talent's not the same in the NBA. Well, they usually are the people that think college is better. We kind of know what they think about that, but that's a whole other story. Skill level is greater than any other time in the NBA. Offense is up. More people can shoot threes. The court is more spread. you got big guys who can handle the ball. There's a lot of amazing players doing amazing things. But some people will say defense is dead. And it kind of goes into, you know, it's kind of like hip-hop. Hip-hop is dead. And these whole arguments that you have from people that are older who've watched the game for quite some time. What do you say about that? Offensive ratings are up. you got a team like the Brooklyn Nets who looks like they can be a historically great offensive team while also being a historically bad defensive team right now in the league do you think defense is dead do you think there's a problem with defense in the league cuz i think there's other factors which i'll get into here that people sometimes might ignore specifically in this year in this terms of basketball but do you think defense is dead in basketball
0: i don't like that the rules are too geared toward the offense where now we're seeing like jeremy grant averaging 23 points a game no disrespect but like i i think that there are just more 20 point scorers now than ever before and I do find myself questioning whether or not this is talent based, or this is just how the game is now. The rules are structured this way now. I think it's a combination of both things, but it's hard to weigh one against the other because you know it's just difficult to like really pinpoint that out. Like advanced measurements could, o- I mean, and advanced numbers rather could only do so much. Um, I guess measurements would be the same thing in some regard. But regardless, I think that like. I just wish that the, the the rules weren't sort of geared toward the offense because, like, I – it's difficult to differentiate, like, who's defending who well, especially now mm-hmm. that we have everybody switching. Like, there's man-to-man. Everybody plays man-to-man in the NBA. But when you were coming up and when I was coming up, switching was almost a sin. You know what I mean? Like, it was not something that we necessarily did. And that's not to say it was good or bad or indifferent. People just figured out, like, yeah, uh, we should just switch on everything because the data shows that, like, you should do that in a lot of cases. Though I kind of reject that because, like, you clearly shouldn't. It's just easier to get those mismatches now because the rule is, the thing is, again, so geared toward the offense. So it's this trickle-down effect to where it's, like, one thing offensively, if I'm setting a screen, no, if I'm rather going around a screen, if I'm Chris Paul, right, and all of a sudden I give myself this mismatch, it's just a product of me being able to get the screen, no problem, because I'm able to create the space to do so, whether or not I stick this arm out, I'm not, I'm probably not going to get it called because that doesn't get called a lot. Like I see a lot of guys get away with that. So it's just so geared toward the offense sometimes where I almost find myself bored. When and I heard Stan Van Gunney make this point before, I almost find myself bored when I'm just watching teams run up and down and shoot threes, consecutive possessions back to back to back to back to back. And I'm like, yo, it's kind of not really imaginative here. Like I'm not watching as much. I, not to say I want to see ISO heavy basketball, but I do like the isolations. And we know that that stuff still matters in a way that the advanced numbers don't show because at the end of the games, mm-hmm. what do we revert to? We have to get the isolation bucket. It's why the Nets are going to be deadly offensively and why defensively they're not going to be because at the end of games, they have Kevin Durant, they have James Harden, they have Kyrie Irving, uh They may add like Griffin. I don't know. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're going to have scores who are able to get you a bucket at the end of the day. Defensively, they're not going to be able to stop anybody. Even if they get Andre Drummond, like, really, how much is that going to help them? And he's not really Hakeem Olajuwon defensively, though his numbers would probably suggest that he's something
1: close. But B, let me stop you there, right? Because you're talking about the Nets, and I think that is a good place to go in the next in the conversation. Okay, somebody might argue, yeah, but if you got offensive players like that, does it even matter? Like, does it still matter to have a top defense or a competent defense, even in what we're asking for in the net? Some people may say that doesn't matter at all. I still think it does matter to have the defense. I agree.
0: Statistically, it still does because you, like, I think one or two teams in the last 20 years or something like that have won without a a top 12 defense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that tells you it still matters to some degree. Now, like, The numbers are so skewed to where it's like, like I would want to see me personally, I would want to see what happens in a league where Marcus Smart, Bam Adebayo, Patrick Beverly, Joel Embiid are actually allowed to play defense. You know what I mean? Like really play defense in a way, because now it's harder because you can't really touch guys or things like that. Like they call, you know, some officials call regions for anything. Like I would like to see what happens if they really play defense because like now it's gonna be Marcus Smart is gonna have to guard Trey Young. Let's just throw the Celtics and the Hawks out there. Marcus mm-hmm. Smart is gonna be tasked with guarding Trey Young. Uh DeAndre Hunter comes in, sets a screen, or John Collins rather comes in, sets a screen for a pick and pop situation. And now all of a sudden you have Trey Young dribbling the ball in front of Time Lord. You know what I mean? Or Daniel Tice. And it's like this is not what I want to see. Like as a basketball fan, I want to see more of these man on um, uh monoe mano matchups. You know, uh, the guys that I want to see, and that's another thing. Like we don't really see LeBron and KD like guard each other in that way. We don't yeah, see Giannis guard anymore. Like you don't see that because the the advanced numbers are so out of control. Like they're like, "Yo, no, you should have this person doing this. Keep him away from here. Whatever, whatever." And I'm like, "Yo, like at the end of the day, that stuff still matters to some degree, regardless of what the numbers say in terms of impacting winning. Like if my guy is outplaying your guy, that's just gonna mean." we have a better chance of winning, and we should all have that confidence there. Like, I didn't see... I saw Jimmy Butler guard LeBron more than LeBron guarding Jimmy Butler during the NBA Finals. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I would have liked to have seen them matched up with each other the whole time.
1: Yeah, I, you don't you don't get that as much anymore, and a lot of that changed with the... You know, Brian, you were young, but young enough to know what was going on in basketball. Like, the change of the, the hand-checking rule, that's 2004, when the NBA got rid of that, and, you know, you were able to actually have a hand on somebody... As they were moving, and that kind of yeah. restricted moving. I and was hand
0: checking in high school, 100.
1: 100% 100%. And here's the thing with hand checking. I felt the dudes who were really talented offensively and really could handle and still get past you. You were really good, right? Yeah. They were really you. You had to be really good to do that to like worry about not one just losing the ball, but controlling it and still blowing past somebody. Guys like Iverson who played, you know, played with that for a little bit, in a couple of years. Guys like Marbury, those guys I think about from that era. You know, when Brian and I have done our player A versus player B comparisons or when we're looking at back to the future stuff, you know, these are things across eras we think about. I do think players are more talented than ever before. I do think players shoot too many threes. There's like yeah. two too many threes for my liking, and I'm kind of with Van Gundy, and I want some more offensive uh, creativity, I should say. And he said that? he
0: wants more plays at the rim. To which I was like, I mean, for me, I just want to see like things that aren't threes. Well, the all thing, the time. Well,
1: well, the thing is, people of
0: Giannis should not be shooting six threes in, per game. The numbers, and it's crazy. The amount of dudes who are not good three point shooters who are shooting a high amount
1: of three. threes because the analytical numbers are telling people to devalue mid range. That was the point I was going to make. But what's funny about it is when you look at it in the playoffs, to your point B, when you have to go isolation heavy. And If somebody can't blow past somebody, and you're in the 15 to 17 foot range, well then, and you're good like a Kevin Durant or Kyrie or James Harden or Kawhi Leonard, well that mid range is deadly if you're good at that. So it's funny how people devalue the mid range offensively, not just in terms of defense, but like if you're really good at it and can stop and pop 18 to 15, and you can still get your own shot, well it's hard, you're putting pressure on the defense, you know. And as a defender in a playoff situation, you then have to know oh, okay, that's something I have to try to take away from him if I can, right? And that that puts another level of pressure there. And I just think, I don't think the defense is necessarily dead. I think another thing in this season where we're seeing a lot of crazy numbers and crazy scores, I think we also need to look at the fact that a lot of these teams, uh, whether they've been wrecked by COVID, we've seen this with Miami. Miami's better defensively than what they are, but they've been wrecked by COVID. That doesn't hurt them. Teams not being able to practice as much, B, that's also hurting people because now you can't install new stuff, whether offensively or defensively. So people need to look at that and maybe not just get caught up in some of the crazy numbers we've seen this season. I still think, I think another factor too I would like to add is the crowd not being there. People don't think about crowds, but when you play basketball, you play sports, a crowd being there, if you're playing like shit on defense, they're going to let you know. And that's going to motivate some players to play a little better. Right now with no crowds, they're probably like, you know, you're not maybe feel as motivated to do it as much. And I can see that being a factor as well. So I think there's a lot of things here. I think defensive numbers will start to even out as you have players who are also more versatile defensively uh, being able to catch up to some of the players that are more versatile offensively. I think it all balances out. I think people tend to go too much to one extreme. The other thing I agree with Brian is I'm not a believer that you are just going to all of a sudden have a great offensive team now, and you're still going to win. I know things have happened in the NBA that people stupidly said that could never happen. We had people say, you can never win with a scoring point guard. I always thought that was a bunch of bull. Clearly, that's not been true, and I wonder all the people who said that now. You had people who said, oh, you can't win with a team that shoots a lot of jump shots. The Warriors did that. But you know what the Warriors were really good at, too? Defense. They also were like a really good defensive team, so I, I think you have to be, have a high level of offense and offensive versatility, but you still got to play D. I'm not on the defense is dead; nobody plays defense in the NBA anymore. I think some of the yeah. numbers we're seeing is an anomaly this season, but let's not get out of hand to make that statement. That's yeah, all I and I
0: and I think the last thing I would say is like I do wish that hand checking was still in the NBA Me just so that man. point, just so that point guards wouldn't be putting up these crazy ass numbers because I feel like. The 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 point guards that we grew up watching, or the style of point guards that we grew up watching, that shit like damn near doesn't exist anymore. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I like for me personally, like I don't care to see point guards dropping twenty five points and ending up a game with four assists. You know what I mean? And averaging like something like that. As much as I really like Kemba Walker and Damian Lillard and Steph Curry, um, who you know he get his assist numbers are higher, but like that's sort of the norm of what it is now. And those are outliers. It makes a lot of other kids who are point guards, quote unquote, now feeling like that's the style that they need to be. And I'm seeing more and more teams where their best playmaker is not their point guard. It's a forward or in the case of Denver, it's a big man. Mm -hmm. In the case of Miami, it's a forward, then a big man. Uh, You know what I mean? So like that's sort of normalized. And it's, it's not something that I prefer watching personally.
1: I, that's gonna have to be another discussion we have to do uh, the art of point guards dropping the dimes and I might have to crunch the numbers on that and look at that and some of the best point guards in the games and how assist Same. numbers have gone down I think that'll be another good discussion but yeah I, I don't we, and I, we I grew don't up think with scoring is.
0: point guards too but right but like,
1: who could still drop dimes though
0: that's the thing It like Chris Paul was sort of kind of like – that style was sort of the norm. I mean, shit, I grew up watching Chris Paul because when he broke into the league, I was 11 years old. Right. Stefan Marbury was somebody who, while he would get you 25, 30 points at any every eight, night, man, every he night. also get you 10, 12 assists. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, now, and now it's crazy because like we'll see Jamal Murray be called the point guard, but his big game will be like 30 points and three assists. And yes. that shit is ridiculous to me.
1: I, 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 I'm I with you on that. That's going to be another discussion for another day. That's it for this episode of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Please continue to support us. Remember to subscribe to us on the Backpack Broadcasting YouTube channel. Also, subscribe uh, wherever you listen to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you do. Subscribe to us, listen to us. We'll be uh, rolling out some stuff with some extra content, getting our Patreon uh, stuff started back up with some episodes and extra content you can hear there. You have to go listen to that over on Patreon as you continue to support us that way. Check out our Backpack Broadcasting Patreon page today to continue to support us in the best way that you can. So, for Brian Fonseca, I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace.